There are a lot of unanswered questions surrounding this coronavirus pandemic, and it's become really hard to know what to believe, which might explain why this virus has become a conspiracy theory magnet. And there's one specific conspiracy theory that's not only gained traction on the web, it's also had real-world consequences. That theory involves 5G, a new wireless technology that promises faster speeds. At the time of speaking, around 40 mobile phone masks have been set on fire or attacked as a result of this conspiracy theory. James Temperton is the digital editor at Wired UK. He's talking about what's been happening over the last few weeks in Europe. People are destroying cell phone towers because they think 5G causes COVID-19. So it's really spilled over. It's not just people saying things on the internet that they wouldn't say in real life and behaving on the internet in a way they wouldn't in real life. It's burst into the real world and resulted in criminal acts, threats of violence, confrontations. Today on the show, how a conspiracy theory about coronavirus and 5G gained so much popularity. And later I ask, how should I go about talking to a family member or a friend who's bought into one of these theories? I'm Ariel Dimros. This is Reset. James Temperton traced the origins of the 5G conspiracy theory to an article published in January in a Belgian newspaper. In the piece, a local doctor is asked whether there could be a link between 5G and a scary new virus that had started to plague the Chinese province of Wuhan. The doctor replies, It may be a link with current events. And that little line there essentially lit a fuse that's been burning through Facebook and social media ever since. This story blows my mind. What exactly is the conspiracy theory linking 5G and coronavirus? If only it were just one. It's actually five or six conspiracy theories um, rolled into one. They're all linked um, and different people pick them up in different ways. Um, So one of the conspiracy theories is that 5G is in some way linked to coronavirus. Um, Another conspiracy theory is that 5G causes symptoms like coronavirus. Um, Another conspiracy theory is that 5G is being used as cover to, in conjunction with coronavirus, to require us to be vaccinated as part of a deep state plot Um, headed by the Illuminati that will uh, use a vaccine to take control of and shut down our organs. Okay. (laughs) The line that's come clearest out of this and the one that's being shared most widely is that 5G is harmful to human beings Mm -hmm. and that somehow it has something to do with the symptoms of coronavirus. So, okay, so it explodes there in Belgium. How did it make its way to English-speaking social media? This is the way that social networks operate, right? And you've got these collections, these clusters of of accounts that all have a common purpose. They all think that 5G is bad, is dangerous, and like sharing scientifically baseless claims about how bad and dangerous it is. So it didn't really take long to jump over into the English-speaking world on Facebook. And early on, this really was a Facebook phenomenon, but it was really, really low level. We're talking about groups with a few hundred members and 
posts, getting a few thousand interaction shares, comments, likes, this sort of stuff. So it bounced around this quite obscure corner of the internet for a really, really long time. But then it started somehow to bubble along on YouTube a bit. And you had these British and Irish sort of shock jocks that have their own talk radio shows kind of on YouTube. Right, sure. Um, where they get lots of slightly shady looking people to discuss the truth about the New World Order and all this sort of strange conspiracy theory nonsense. And all of a sudden, the talk of the town was 5G and coronavirus. They had this really, really delicious new conspiracy theory to, to get into. And it had loads of great aspects, right? They could talk about Bill Gates. They could talk about China. They could talk about the deep state. They could talk about anti-vaccination. So this really was the perfect little nugget for them to go absolutely nuts on. And they really did. There are some videos that have been particularly prominent in the spread of this conspiracy theory that have nearly a million views individually. In aggregate, we're talking about millions and millions of views across thousands and thousands of videos. Okay, so this conspiracy theory is going wild on Facebook and YouTube, especially on accounts catering to British audiences. Has anyone else been pushing the idea that 5G is dangerous? The idea that 5G is dangerous is a quite well-established, very, very dangerous conspiracy theory. And amongst all the noise and nonsense out there, there's one voice that stands out absolutely crystal clear. And that's the voice of a Russian propaganda broadcaster called RT or Russia Today. It's pretty big in the US. It's pretty big in the UK mm -hmm. too. And RT has been attacking the rollout of 5G for over a year. There's been well over a dozen new segments that it's published um, on, on YouTube, where RT is very, very successful. These videos have millions of views. And in one of them, uh, a correspondent for RT called Michelle Greenstein explains that 5G has just one catch. Is there a catch? There is just a small one. And then she says, It might kill you. It might kill you. <laughs> Good to know. These are really bizarre, scientifically baseless rants that are part of a coordinated, as far as I can tell, attack by RT against 5G. And RT is really, really effective on platforms like YouTube and Facebook because it's that sort of confrontational rile you up style of journalism. They look right down the camera. They say these outrageous things and it's social media dynamite. I got to ask, though, why does this Russian broadcaster care about 5G? Like, why is it focusing so much on this one aspect of mobile technology? It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Um, the best guess that anyone's been able to make is that Russia wants to slow down the global rollout of 5G so it can play catch up. So this is one of many areas where Russia has fallen behind the West and Asia. Right, because there is this idea that that whoever controls 5G technology will have a significant amount of power in the world, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. And this is all wrapped up in very, very complicated trade negotiations. The trade war between America and China in the UK, we've had a lot of controversy around which companies should be providing our 5G infrastructure. But it seems that Russia wants a slice of this pie as well. And the only way it's going to get one is if it can hamper the existing efforts and chip away at the legitimacy of this existing technology. And this is a fairly tried and tested propaganda approach. You just take little chunks out of something. You keep on chipping away at it and eventually the foundations crumble and you can step in and do what you want to do. So you spoke to a bunch of experts about disinformation when you were reporting on this story. What was their take on how big this has gotten? 
So I spoke to um, a researcher at a think tank in the UK called Demos, a guy called Josh Smith, and he spent a long time looking at how conspiracy theories and misinformation are amplified by social networks. And his take was that this is the absolute perfect storm. It provides an explanation, a scapegoat for the suffering that we're all going through right now. And the cruel mm-hmm. thing about it is, and why it is such a successful conspiracy theory, is it gives us a way out. And we've seen in the UK some really, really bizarre real-world consequences of this. So at the time of speaking, around 40 mobile phone masks have been set on fire or attacked as a result of this conspiracy theory. We've had people going out into the streets and confronting people out laying new fibre broadband networks. But do you know what you're doing now? You're laying 5G? Yeah. You realise that, don't you? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So you know that kills people? You know when they turn this on, it's going to kill everyone, and that's why they're building the hospitals? So it's really spilled over. It's not just people saying things on the internet that they wouldn't say in real life and behaving on the internet in a way they wouldn't in real life. It's burst into the real world and resulted in criminal acts, threats of violence, confrontations. And tragically, in the UK, there's been a couple of instances of people attacking new mobile phone infrastructure that's been put in place to help the emergency services cope with the increased demand from the coronavirus pandemic. So we've got first responders and we've got new field hospitals being built. These all require additional mobile phone infrastructure. So that's been put up and now people are burning it down. So internet platforms like Facebook and YouTube have said that they're trying to combat this coronavirus misinformation on their platforms. How have the platforms responded to this specific set of conspiracy theories? Are they actually doing anything? Early doors, Facebook was praised for getting out ahead of coronavirus misinformation and making quite strong statements as to how it was going to take this sort of thing on. But even with Facebook saying that it has these incredibly advanced artificial intelligence systems, that it has vast resource in terms of human moderators looking at this sort of stuff, it didn't shut this down. This thing was spreading like wildfire across Facebook for a number of months. It could obviously see that it was very, very viral, very, very engaging. It amplified it with its algorithm. That's what its algorithm's designed to do. It's designed to get people sharing and communicating more on Facebook. What it didn't do was stop it. You know, it's it's funny that, that you say this because I also know that Facebook is not very good at getting rid of certain conspiracy theories that are sort of related to this, like anti-vaxxers, for instance. There are anti-vaxxer groups all over Facebook and those have never been really stopped from operating. Um, they, they might not be amplified in the same way, but they, they're there. And so I, I'm wondering, is it that these groups are too powerful? Is it that it's too hard to get rid of this? Is there something else going on beyond the, the technology to remove these posts? Absolutely. Um, Mark Zuckerberg often talks about Facebook being a town square and it wants to allow people to have a voice. And it's really, really uncertain of its place in restricting that freedom of speech. Um, so to go back to the 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory, there are a number of pages on Facebook that have hundreds of thousands of followers that picked up on this conspiracy theory and started pushing it. Now, those pages have been pushing that kind of stuff for 
nearly a decade. They're very, very successful at it. We have people on Facebook who have made celebrities of themselves with tens of thousands of followers by putting out this dangerous world view. So it wasn't going to be the case that all of a sudden Facebook was going to find this objectionable because it's allowed it for a number of years. So this conspiracy has gotten a lot of attention after those cell phone towers were burned in the UK. Does it feel like the conspiracy has been debunked now? Are we seeing an end to this? You'd hope so, but not really. So since I looked into the origins and the sort of trajectory of this conspiracy theory over the last several weeks, it's gone on to gain even more notoriety. So a national TV station in the UK put out an hour-long interview with a very, very prominent conspiracy theorist called David Icke, who's an anti-vaccination activist, amongst other things. We also had um, one of our primetime TV talk shows. Um, One of the presenters of that basically revealed himself all of a sudden to be a 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory truther. What I don't accept is mainstream media immediately slapping that down as not true when they don't know it's not true. No one should attack or damage or do anything like that, but it's very easy to say it is not true because it suits the state narrative. That's all I would say as someone with an inquiring mind. He since rode back on those comments and said, actually, I was misinterpreted. And there was real, real outrage in the UK that even after fact-checking organisations, the government, so at our daily coronavirus press briefings where officials in the UK lay out how the government's responding, how the health service is coping, they had to address this conspiracy theory. One of the UK's most senior politicians had to say, It's nonsense. It's the worst kind of fake news. The reality is that the mobile phone networks are absolutely critical to all of us, particularly in a time when we are asking people to stay at home. Uh, But in particular, those are also the phone networks that are used by our emergency services and our health workers. And I'm absolutely outraged, absolutely disgusted. So it's really, really not going away. And I think the fact that we're talking about it now, a good couple of weeks after I published my investigation into it, shows that it's not dying down. If anything, it's ramping up. James Temperton is the digital editor at Wired UK. Last week, Facebook released a new plan to fight misinformation on its platform. The social network will now invite users who've interacted with harmful misinformation to check out a webpage put together by the World Health Organization. That webpage debunks several myths about coronavirus. We reached out to Facebook for comment. The company didn't get back to us by our deadline. Okay. So we focused on this specific conspiracy theory, but there's a lot of bad information out there, and when anxiety takes hold, it's easy to buy into it. So what can you do if someone you're close to believes in misinformation surrounding this virus? How do you talk to them about it? That's coming up after the break. This is Reset. Liz Neely, executive director of the Story Collider. Why do you think we see conspiracy theories like the one linking 5G and coronavirus? What is it about an event like a pandemic that makes this kind of misinformation spread really quickly? 
Well, I think it's normal, right? When stakes are so high, when we are literally talking about life and death, we urgently need to know how to protect ourselves and our families. And we want to know who to blame, right? So what we want is straightforward, actionable answers. And we want them right now. Mm -hmm. And when we are outraged, when we're upset, when we're scared, we're more likely to, to search for information that justify those feelings, right? Mm. That help us rationalize what's going on while also soothing those fears, that anxiety, that anger. And the thing about human beings is we're constantly searching for patterns. Mm -hmm. We don't like random chance. We don't like um, just happenstance. And so I think that's where you see conspiracy theories take root. It's the idea that there are powerful actors who have machinations going on behind the scenes, creating these situations. It's appealing because it's easier to look for those intentional actors and much harder to accept just the possibility that this could be simple chance. And I think the hard thing about conspiracy theories are that we live in a world where Things that felt unthinkable a few years ago have proven to be true. Mm -hmm. And so we're all constantly in this heightened state of searching for answers to why is this happening and what should I do about it? So given that this problem is, is fairly widespread and we're now seeing this 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory popping up in many places in the world, do folks who understand that these theories are incorrect do we have an obligation to try and inform our friends and family or, or correct them when when they believe or spread misinformation? This is a challenging question, right? Because there's there's all different categories of misinformation. There are all sorts of beliefs that are incorrect, but not harmful. Mm. So I like to focus on information that is both incorrect, unjustified, and actively harmful. And then there's also whether or not I have any standing, whether the person who shared that information trusts me at all. Are they likely to listen to me? Because I have a limited number of hours in the day. I can't spend all day, every day online attempting to correct misinformation everywhere I find it. That's not a good use of my time and energy. Okay, so hypothetically, pretend I have a relationship with a family member that is spreading misinformation that I find harmful how should I go about having that kind of a conversation with them? How are we supposed to do this? There's, there's no easy answers in communication. There's no script that you can reliably follow that will always lead you to the right outcome. And so that means we have to be actively listening to the other person, even when they're starting from a place that we really profoundly disagree with. And so what I try and do first is listen non-judgmentally and figure out what is it that they're saying? And also, what's their emotional state behind the claims that they're making? Mm. If someone is sharing information because they're feeling incredibly anxious and lonely, maybe I can help fill those personal needs. And mm. we're not actually having a science communication argument at all. It kind of sounds like what you're saying is that if you have a family member who seems fixated on some kind of conspiracy theory related to this virus— you can look at it as a symptom of their anxiety. And so helping them along with that anxiety and sort of offering them reassurance and, and support can be one way 
to diminish that fixation on on this one specific conspiracy theory? I mean, absolutely. And and the thing is, too, like I'm cautious about relying too heavily on mental health as an analogy in the question of like the infection of ideas or something like that, because our shared reality is that we have a systematically unequal and horrifically racist history in healthcare in the U.S., And so it's actually not surprising and and it's valid if people question scientists or health officials and wonder about how they apply broad public advice to their own personal expectation. And so I agree that what we need to do is simultaneously focus on reliable, simple, straightforward facts and truths that do protect us. Address seriously the concerns and the emotional component that we see tightly tied up with a lot of conspiracy thinking. And then also help push people to explore information, give them healthier sources of information, provide alternative explanations in order to help them grapple with the combination of facts and feelings that we all have to navigate right now. So when I'm approaching a family member What are the things that I need to keep in mind as I am having this conversation? When I'm talking to somebody I care about, I remember a bunch of different things. The hardest part about counteracting misinformation is that sometimes our innate strategies, they backfire on us. So what we want Mm. to do is avoid inadvertently reinforcing misinformation. And we do this in a number of ways. The first one is you focus on the facts. You say things that are true. You don't repeat misinformation because that inadvertently makes it feel more commonplace, more normal, and that we have cognitive biases that make it seem more true just for hearing the repetition. So you focus on the facts. We also need to do something that um, starts with our shared values affirming people's identities, you know, thinking about what are the ties that bind us? What do we agree on? How can we start from there Mm. so that people don't feel like they or their ideological position is under attack from the science you're trying to share? I think it's also really important to keep your messages simple and to um, repeat them. Right. So we, we want to do the healthy behavior of saying over and over and over again, the best way that we can protect ourselves from this really scary situation right now is to, you know, social distance and to wash our hands frequently. You repeat the good messages. And then finally, the other thing is um, one of the big problems with counteracting misinformation is that the, the lie or the conspiracy theory, the wrong information is satisfying because it fills in an explanatory gap in our understanding. Mm. And so what we need to do is not just say, no, that's wrong, (laughs) but to provide an alternative explanation, right, to fill in why it is happening. And in a situation like the pandemic where we may not have satisfying answers quite yet, an additional thing we can do is to explain the possible motivations behind the people who stand to gain from pushing that information. So we can foster that healthy skepticism to get them to question the motivations of those who are, for example, selling unproven medications instead of just saying, well, that won't work. Right. So in the case of this 5G thing, you can point to the fact that RT, a Russian broadcaster, has been talking about this probably as a way to um, slow the growth of 5G in competing countries. Exactly. And I rely on the same, it's the same toolkit always. And it starts with a place of why are we in each other's lives? 
What draws us together? What can we build on? Um, can I actually actively listen to this person instead of fighting with them? And once we get to that place, then we can start to introduce the data and the science and the facts as we understand it. Right. So often when you're having a conversation with somebody who you disagree with, that common ground, that compassion, that ability to listen is the thing that can keep that conversation going instead of shutting it down. I mean, I don't know. I don't have data on this, but I suspect that if we did a rigorous study, the number of people who've ever changed their mind because someone was yelling at them (laughs) um, is approaching zero. Yeah. And I think broadly speaking, I also think that what our society often suffers from is uh, seeing the ability to change your mind and the act of changing your mind as a weakness as opposed to seeing it as a strength, which which it should be. Being able to change your mind is absolutely a strength and something that people should take pride in. Absolutely. But that isn't always the case. This is one of the really important things that we all need to do as we find ourselves faced with communicating science in a time when the research is rapidly expanding. Like the number of papers is huge right now. We have to understand what is what does the data say? What are our best approximations of how we should act on it? And when and how do we change our position when that information shifts? So we've seen this happening, for example, with advice about whether or not to wear masks. And right. the hard thing for people who care about science is that we often think, oh, we'll just trust the experts, trust the researchers. But I, I actually in, encourage you to think about Fostering something else, we'll call it critical trust, right? We don't want people rejecting advice because it comes from a scientific institution. But I'm not sure that it actually is healthy to have people just believe whatever comes out of the mouth of someone who's in an official capacity. So instead, I do think we need to think about what allows us to have this kind of critical trust where there's healthy skepticism. Mm -hmm. And so for those of us who care about science communication, and when we think about how do we do this ourselves, it's a combination of things like technical competence. I actually know what I'm talking about. But then also more importantly, that my audience feels that I care about them, that I'm fair in my judgments, and that I have openness and transparency around how and why I reached the advice that I'm trying to convince them to take. So that's a great approach in these kinds of conversations. But in the first half of this episode, we talked about how um, a lot of the forces amplifying this misinformation are really big, whether it's a social network or RT, the Russian broadcaster. And so I'm wondering, can any one of us really make a difference when those are the forces that we're up against? The most important thing for each of us to remember is that we are not powerless. We are not helpless in the face of these massive global actors. In fact, this is based on research. So in communication science, we have this important understanding that people don't make up their minds just based on what they see in the media or, you know, on Facebook. What's happening is called the two-step flow. People are exposed to information and then they help make up their minds about it based on what their friends and family and other trusted individuals are telling them. Mm. So that is our role. I may not be able to personally do anything on the, a global scale. I might not be able to personally counteract trolls or international agents. It makes me almost laugh to be like, I'm not a spy, you know? Right. What I am is... A trusted friend. I'm a daughter. 
I am the leader of an organization. I'm someone who my, my communities know I care about science and I care about them. And so I focus, I think globally, but I focus my action locally. And that is, how can I be a node of trust? Someone that people respect and come to, and, I, and they can actually ask me the hard questions. They know I won't laugh at them or mock them, but I will take their worries seriously and I will tell them the truth as best I'm able. Liz Neely is the executive director of the Story Collider, a nonprofit organization that uses storytelling to communicate science. I'm Ariel Zumroff, and this is Reset. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds.